Hey, uh, we're continuing in our series on the book of Mark, Mark chapter 1. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, uh, you can kind of head that way. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, uh, grab the one that looks just like this one's in the pew rack in front of you, uh, page 1573, you'll find the area that we're, uh, we're looking at uh, today. If you've ever gone to the store and made a purchase um, and you've seen those three dreaded words on a box that you've made a purchase, uh, some assembly required, uh, that, that's always a bit of a frightening phrase when I see a box because uh, I, I, I like stuff being put together when I buy it. Uh, but some things have to be assembled. Years ago, when my kids were younger, uh, we had a big backyard at our home in Hood River and Trina and I made the investment in a backyard swing set. Had a little slide on the side, went down, picked up the boxes, multiple boxes, put them in a truck, brought them home. It's a Saturday morning. Uh, got the boxes laid out in the backyard, and uh, it's not some assembly required. This box just says assembly required because it's a lot of stuff. As I get it out of the boxes, I'm surrounded by it. It's, I, I, I'm overwhelmed because I'm surrounded what feels like by a 10,000-piece jigsaw puzzle. There are so many pieces and parts. I mean, there's screws and bolts and chains and washers and uh, just so much. To, some stuff, I don't even know what it is. It's just, I'm just surrounded by all these parts, and it's, it's going to be a day in the backyard. Kids are coming out asking when, when they can swing, and I, it's just a little bit, just hang on, and a little bit translates into hours, and now it's multiple hours, and I'm laboring over this, this project. But finally, get to the point where I can tip the swing set up and attach the slide to it, and I tip it up, attach the slide, I go back, and I look down in a box, and I am unnerved. I am perplexed, even a little alarmed. I have pieces left over. You ever been there? You put something together, and you realize, wow, that's nice of them to give us extra parts. I mean, just in case something goes wrong. I don't just have an extra screw or bolt. I've got multiple bolts. I've got braces. Uh, I, I've got, I got enough stuff to fill a small backpack. And, um, and then my kids are running circles of delight in the backyard and they're on the swings and they're, they're swinging away and going down the slide and doing it again. And I'm watching this, this swing set sway and just sort of do this. And I'm listening to the creaking sound. And, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned. Uh, so I do a redo on the project to make sure I use all the parts. I don't know if I put them in the right, right place. I just Now I know I have an empty box. Uh, <laughs> you, you know when you're building something that you, you, there's, there's something unnerving when you have extra parts. And you want to build it right. Today, we get to Mark chapter 1. Jesus is going to, he's going to, through a message he's preaching, I I just call it his go-to sermon. We're going to look at it here in a second. He's going to teach us how the kingdom of God is built in our lives. And it really is very simple. There's not 10,000 pieces to this construction project in our hearts. There's really just three pieces that need to be be together. But if we don't get all three of those pieces as part of the project, part of the the building uh, that Christ wants to do in our hearts, if there's any piece left out, we should be unnerved and alarmed. All three pieces need to be put together. So let me uh, Mark chapter 1, I think it's verse 14 or 15, you'll see this message. I, I just call it Jesus' go-to sermon. Uh, verse, verse 15, he's going into Galilee, which is northern Israel. He's preaching this message. By the way, he's come out of the wilderness. 
Remember last week, if you were here, we talked about the unusual location the gospel is first declared, in the wilderness, in the desert. Jesus is baptized there. He's tempted in the wilderness. Now he's coming out of the wilderness, and here's his go-to message. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. It's a very simple message, very concise, and I'm just, just going to put the, his sermon outline up here. Here's Jesus' sermon outline, his go-to message, introduction. The time promised by God has come. The kingdom of God is near. What he's saying in his intro is going to cause people to lean in. Because these are people who have heard prophecies for hundreds of years, prophecies about a coming Messiah. And what he's saying here is that, you know, all that waiting, all that anticipation, it's now about to be fulfilled. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom is right under your nose. It's going to happen. You're going to see it. So people are leaning in. Then he gets to point one of his message. So repent of your sins. Point two Believe the good news. That's it. That's, that's the message. This is how the kingdom of God is constructed in people's lives. This is how the kingdom of heaven, it advances in the lives of people. It's through a messenger who declares this news of repentance and belief. Now, I want to make sure before we get to the rest of chapter one, I want to be certain that we understand what Jesus is saying by repent and believe because we have pictures that come into our minds. We have false definitions of what these two things mean. So I want to make sure we understand understand what they are. Let's first talk about repentance. Repentance is a change of heart and mind that results in a change of action. Oftentimes, we have this picture in our mind. When we hear the word repent, we have a, a picture of a, a billboard by the side of the freeway that sort of shouts at us. It says, repent, you're a sinner. Or maybe you even picture someone wearing a sandwich board that says, repent and, and believe, and they're shouting into a bullhorn. And it, it can be sort of this, this kind of angry approach. And, and I just want to say to you, that's, that's not how Jesus delivered this message. I, I, I don't believe Jesus was, he had flames shooting out his eyes at people when he was, when he was preaching repentance. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to come allow your life to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And, and repentance is simply a change of heart and mind that is necessary to enter into the kingdom. It's a change of heart and mind that, that translates into changed action, a transformed life. That's repentance. And to drill a little bit deeper on this to make sure we understand it, there's, there's really three levels of, of repentance. There's the intellectual element of repentance. It's a change of view, a recognition of sin as involving personal guilt, defilement, and helplessness. It's intellectually, it's, cognit it's a cognitive understanding that, you know what? When I spoke those words, when I spoke those words of deception... When I spoke those, those insults to someone, I not only hurt someone on a horizontal relationship, I also brought damage to my vertical relationship with God. And when we embrace repentance, what we're saying is, I intellectually, I, I, I understand, with cognitive reason, I understand this is wrong. And there's guilt and defilement, which then leads to the second level, which is the emotional element. It begins intellectually, now it's emotional. Now we have a change of feeling, a hatred of sin, 
manifesting itself in sorrow for sin committed against a holy God. This is biblical repentance. We first understand that what I have done is wrong, that, that I'm stained by my sin. I, I'm, I, now there's a break in my relationship with God and perhaps with people. And now I, my, my, my emotions are impacted. Now I experience godly sorrow. And so that's, that's the second part. Third part is there's a volitional element, or this impacts our behavior, the way the decisions that we make. So the volitional element is a change of purpose, an inward turning away from sin, and a disposition to seek pardon and cleansing. So when Jesus says repent, what he's saying is that understand, cognitively understand that this sin breaks your relationship with God. That should produce godly sorrow that then leads you to a place where you turn away from sin and you turn towards God. That is biblical repentance. It's point one of Jesus' sermon. He's putting the project together. The kingdom of God is near. It's right under your nose. Repent. Change heart, change mind, change action. Which then gets us to point two of his message, which is belief. To believe. Now, if you were here six or seven years ago, I did a message on on belief. Um, What I did is over here by the baptismal tank, I had a, a chair. And I taped a big bright yellow balloon to the chair. And then, from home, I brought a a BB gun that I had as a kid. And I asked everyone everyone in the room, because because I had been practicing, I asked, in fact, if if you look in the door, you'll see some dents, because I missed a couple times. I, I had been practicing, I asked, who believes that I can shoot my BB gun and pop that balloon on the chair? And let me tell you something, this room was full of believers. Everyone raised their hand. They were like, yes, you can do it, Steve. And, and so I said, okay, okay. So we got like 99.5% you know, believer ratio in the room. That's great. So let's just kind of raise the ante a little bit. What if someone were to hold that balloon in their hand? Who believes that I could pop the balloon by shooting the balloon with my BB gun and not hit the person's arm and cause injury? Who believes that? Raise your hand. Belief level dropped, Okay. <laughs> Now we went from 99% down to 50%. But there's half the room was like, yeah, I think you could do it. I said, oh, come on, let's just go for the whole thing here. How about if someone were to put the balloon in their mouth and stand right here and just hold it out, and I crack a shot from where Robin is over there, and I shoot, how many of you can believe that I'll do that? I'll tell you what, we had 99.5% ratio of belief dropped below 1%. But there were one or two people in the room, each service, and so I surprised them and said, well, then come on up, and I brought them up, <laughs> and, and they came. They had the courage to come up, and I put some safety glasses on them because I didn't want to put an eye out. My mom taught me that. Put the safety glasses on, and they were dark, so they couldn't see a thing, which is important because I flashed a slide up here that said, I'm not really going to shoot. I have no BBs in the BB gun. I just had air in the BB gun. They didn't know that, but everyone else knew that, and so when I'm pumping this thing up, and I'm about ready to take a shot, someone comes out the side door here with a pin, and I, I shoot straight up, and it's just air, and they pop the balloon and everyone cheers, and this person's like, wow, you're a great shot. (laughs) Little did they know, right? That's belief. It's belief 
that you say, you know, I, I'm not just checking a box saying, yeah, I, I think that you could do that. I think that's true. I believe that's a fact. No, when Jesus says repent and believe, he's saying have a changed heart, changed mind, at least a changed action, and you put belief with it, then you start, to ent- you start taking steps into the kingdom of God. You start walking in faith. You aren't simply checking a box and saying, yeah, I got, the, I got that, that, that nailed. You put belief and repentance together, and then what you have is the construction, the building of the kingdom of God in someone's life. And Jesus, Jesus, he focused on these three parts, actually. A messenger to speak that news, repentance, a changed heart, changed mind, leads to changed action, along with belief. Not check the box belief, but the kind of belief that you would get up and you put a balloon in your mouth. That together, that message, when someone repents and someone believes, the kingdom of God advances in a person's life. And so, what Jesus is going to do in the rest of Mark chapter 1 is he's going to go to his go-to message, and he's going, to, he's going to train up some people to do that very thing. The first thing he does is he invites them to come be with him. So he encounters Peter and Andrew and James and John as they're fishing on the Sea of Galilee. And he says, come follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. Come be with me. I'm going to, I'm going to show you how to preach my go-to message. And so they go to, to Jesus' hometown, Peter's hometown, to Capernaum. That's where Jesus is living now, in Capernaum. And, and Peter is there as well and his family, extended family. And so they're in Capernaum and Jesus, he's in the synagogue. It's Sabbath day. It's Saturday morning. And synagogue service would have been about from like nine to noon, about three hours. You thought you had it bad coming here for an hour, three hours. And, and then the service typically is the reciting of some passages of scripture as well as some reading of, of the, the, the rules and regulations and traditions of, of, of those leaders, those religious leaders. So it's, it's pretty lifeless uh, when it came to the rule part and pretty legalistic. But in the synagogue that day is Jesus and he's got his go-to sermon. And he steps up to preach that day. And as he's preaching, the kingdom of God is right under your noses. Repent. Have a changed heart and changed mind that leads to changed action. And put belief along with it. And, and follow me and, and enter the kingdom of heaven. He's preaching this go-to message. And the people who are in the synagogue are alarmed. They're disturbed. They're surprised by how much passion and how much authority Jesus possesses. This is unlike anything they're used to seeing happen in a synagogue. So there's a buzz in church that day. And then the buzz level sort of rises even farther because as Jesus is talking and teaching and fleshing this out, there's a man who's demonized. And he, he stands up and he begins shouting at Jesus. He says the, these words that are found in, in verse 24. Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Notice the plurality there. Are you coming to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The demon isn't professing belief in Christ. What he's saying, this is an old uh, idea that when you say the name of someone, you have power over them. So there's this spiritual warfare that's taking place, and Jesus just cuts him off and says, be quiet, come out of the man. He ordered, and after that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and then came out of him. 
Now, you're in church that day. You just heard someone speak like you've never heard anyone speak before. And then you've got this guy who speaks as demon that speaks out. And Jesus has come out and the demon comes out. There's a buzz in church. There's some, whoa, hold on a second. There's authority in teaching. There's authority over, over the demonic realm. What is going on here? Church is over. Jesus goes to Peter's family's house to have lunch. And everyone else is going home. It's Sabbath, so it's, it's, a, it's a non-working day. People are just are, are taking their resting. But the buzz is on the, on the, in the houses in the village of Capernaum. Jesus has authority over the demonic. He teaches like nobody else. And then Jesus gets to Peter's family's house and heals Peter's mother-in-law. She has a fever. Maybe it's been a long-term sickness, and so it, it's pretty astonishing. I think someone slips out of the house and goes and starts spreading the news. You're not going to believe this. Not only does he teach with authority, not only does he have authority over the spiritual realm, but he even heals. He just healed Peter's mother-in-law. And so as Jesus and his friends are having lunch and they're in the house hanging out, the sun is setting, which is important to know because that's the end of the Sabbath, which means you can carry your sick loved ones to Jesus now. You couldn't do that before because it's the Sabbath. Sun sets. Now the whole, all the people are coming to Jesus because there's sick people and there's lame people and there's blind people and there's people who are demonized that need to be set free. And Jesus is healing all night long. And finally, someone has to just call it and say, "Okay, enough. We'll we'll, we'll pick it up in the morning. Uh, Jesus has got he's got to sleep. So uh, just just let's go back to your houses and and." and Peter's house, they go to sleep, Jesus goes to sleep, and time goes on, and we don't know what time, maybe five in the morning, six in the morning, Jesus gets up, he slips out, no one notices, and he goes to the hillside to pray. Peter, sleeping in with the rest of the disciples, are, they're woken up by a crowd that's gathering outside the home again, because Saturday night, Jesus was healing and delivering, and, and so then they're back again with more sick people, more uh, demonized people, more lame, uh, more blind and so Peter, I imagine him going to Jesus' bedroom and knocking on the door, and there's no answer. And finally, he just kind of peeks in, and Jesus isn't there. Peter and Andrew, James and John, searching the house, and, uh, and, and finally, they, they're looking around the house. They can't find Jesus. And I imagine one of them just sort of picks out a silhouette of someone on the hillside and says, well, there he is. It's kind of annoying. All these people, Jesus, you're on a hillside. So they go up there and they, they get Jesus and they bring him down. They try to bring him down and say, Jesus, you need, to, you need to get down. to People lined up. They're waiting to be, to be, uh, to be healed and delivered. And, and what does Jesus say? What's his response? His response is, I need to go to other villages and preach my go-to sermon. I get this. Why does God heal on Saturday night but not heal on Sunday morning? I'll tell you why. Because the kingdom of God isn't constructed. The kingdom of God isn't built with healings and miracles, as wonderful as they are. And they still happen. But as wonderful as the, as the, as the blind receiving sight, as the lame walking, those things do not build the kingdom of God. They're signs, they're wonders pointing to the authority of Jesus. They describe who Christ is. They tell a story. It's a testimony. But in and of themselves, the only way the kingdom of God advances is through repentance and belief as it's declared by a messenger. And Jesus is called to preach. Does it mean he doesn't care? No, absolutely he cares. He cares intimately about the circumstances of our lives, which is why when he's going to go preach in another village, when he's encountered by an untouchable, a leper, he stops. 
Leprosy in Jesus' day was viewed as the ultimate judgment of God on your sins. A leper would have to cover their top lip and shout out when they were coming near you. They would shout out, unclean, meaning I'm defiled, I'm helpless. Some rabbis in the first century, one rabbi wrote that when, but when they go to the marketplace, they would not even buy an egg from a vendor if they knew that a leper walked that street, ever. Another rabbi wrote in the first century that when he saw a leper, he would pick up stones and throw them at the leper. And he boasted about this. So imagine a leper drawing near to Jesus wondering, is he going to pick up rocks? Is he going to shun me? Am I going to be ostracized again, rejected? No, Jesus cares deeply about this man. In fact, if you were here in June, we talked about that word splag. It means to be all twisted up inside with compassion. That's the word used here when Jesus sees this leper. He's all twisted up inside. And the leper says, if you're willing, Jesus, you can make me clean. And Jesus responds by saying, well, actually by touching him first, which would have been unheard of. Touching him first. And I just kind of picture just a small smile on his face. Oh, I'm willing. Be clean. And then suddenly, you have a change in emotion. You have Jesus, who's all twisted up inside with compassion, and you get on the other side of the healing, and now Jesus is giving a stern warning to the leper. Why the change? Because what, he, what he's concerned about is this leper going and telling other lepers, because that's who you tell, right, when you're, when you're healed? He says, don't tell anyone. I kind of picture it like when my dad was talking to me when I was 12. He said, don't you ever do that again. It's not quite an outburst of anger, but it's stern. It's, I'm making a point here. I hope you're listening. That's what Jesus' emotion is, his tone of voice is with this leper. Don't you dare go tell anyone. Why? Well, we understand why when the leper goes and does tell everybody. He tells everybody, and now the synagogues, the villages are crammed with so many people that Jesus cannot even enter there and preach his go-to sermon, which is a problem because the only way that the kingdom of God is built in our lives is when you put this messenger delivering a message of repentance and belief. And now he can't even preach that message because he's surrounded by immense need. Yes, his, his heart is moved to meet those needs, and he does. But now he'll have to go back out to the wilderness... And you'll have to hang out there, and people will flock to, out, to, to him out in the wilderness. He'll be surrounded by thousands, and he'll preach out there a message of repentance and belief. Now, as that's all happening here, here's what we need to understand. In this message, as it's declared, the kingdom of God is near. It's right under your nose. Repent and believe. It's, it's intellectual. It's emotional. Yes, it's even volitional. There's behavior change that happens. And yes, we, put, we have belief. Not the kind of belief that says, I raise my hand. Yeah, I, I believe in that. No, the kind of belief that you put a balloon in your mouth. When you put those together, the kingdom of God advances. When you leave anyone out, if you have extra parts in the box, the kingdom of God will not advance. And here's the case with Capernaum. Capernaum had extra parts in the box. 
It was a simple, concise message. And they embraced, to a certain level, John the Baptist's message of repentance. They, they acknowledged a certain level of moralism that I need to do right. But what they didn't do was believe. As much as they saw, they didn't believe. And Jesus had very strong words for them. Listen to these words from Matthew, the book of Matthew. Jesus talking to villages, about villages in Galilee, including Capernaum. He says, What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida? For if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have repented of their sins long ago, clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. I tell you, Tyre and Sidon will be better off on Judgment Day than you. And you people of Capernaum, will you be honored in heaven? No, you will go down to the place of the dead. For if the miracles I did for you had been done in wicked Sodom, it would still be here today. I tell you, even Sodom will be better off on judgment day than you. Do you hear what Jesus is saying here? Capernaum, I gave you the message of repentance and belief, and you embraced to to a level repentance, but you didn't believe in me, yet I did all these miracles. I mean, next week you'll see the roof being torn open, a lame man being let down. That happens in Capernaum. They see dramatic healings, dramatic deliverances. They see incredible teaching by Jesus, yet it doesn't translate into belief. Repentance is the one thing that they do lean into, but there's a part left over in the box. And Jesus says to Capernaum, will you be honored on judgment day? No, you will go down to the place of the dead. And I tell you what, if Sodom had seen these miracles, they'd still be here today. And friends, let me just say this to you. The American church today has not committed the sin of Capernaum. We have not rejected repentance and, or embraced repentance and rejected belief. But we do have parts left over in the box. What we have done, what the American church has done, is made the error of checking the box of belief and not repenting. We have checked the box and said, no, I'm good. I, I, I got the whole insurance thing figured out for heaven. And, 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 and I believe... And maybe even intellectually, I know I'm doing this stuff, I know it's wrong, but it hasn't translated into godly sorrow that leads to a change of action. And if Jesus would say to Capernaum, it'd be better off for Sodom on the day of judgment, what would he say to the American church? I'm not talking about this church, other churches, right? (laughs) Friends, I, I fear that we have simply checked a box and thought that we can live however we want. And let me just be honest with you. The kingdom of God will not advance in your life without repentance and belief. Anything less, anything short of that, and we commit the sin of Capernaum. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, pastor in the 20th century, said these words, speaking about this very thing. Bonhoeffer says, he calls it cheap grace. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ. 
Friends, are you here today calling yourself a believer in Jesus Christ, but you haven't really repented? Change mind, change heart, change action. Friends, Jesus would say to you, I want my kingdom to advance in your life. I want you to live the fullness of the life that, I, that I've offered to you. So repent and believe. Yes, I want to touch illnesses. Yes, I want to heal. Yes, I want to do amazing things. But you need to understand, repentance and belief are what establishes my kingdom. This summer, Trina and I went on a trip to Central Oregon. We were just spending some vacation time. We decided to drive down to Crater Lake for the day. Went down to Crater Lake, just enjoyed driving around the lake. And uh, kind of funny story, but, you know, Trina wanted to hike down to the, 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 the lake down there. And I was like, I don't want to hike down there because then you got to hike back out. And it's deep. <laughs> so we're walking by the one trail that does it. And up walks a pregnant woman. And I thought, oh, great, now i got to do it. <laughs> can't be outdone by a pregnant woman unless she's ready to give birth and so we do that and, and on that trip we, we, we pull into this little lodge that's going to show the movie of how the Crater Lake thing all happened and uh, we walk in and take our seats and there's a really nice kind uh, forestry department employee uh, this guy is just you know he's as we're all about 20 of us in this room we're going to watch the video of how uh, Crater Lake was formed and so he's just, you know, hey, where are you from? And what's your story? Where are you from? And he's going around the room. And, and I happen to be wearing a T-shirt that says the Los Angeles Dodgers. May they rest in peace. Okay? <laughs> I'm wearing a Dodgers shirt. And he goes, hey, Southern California. Where are you from, Southern California? I'm like, well, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm not from California. Really? Okay, well, Dodger fan, where, where do you live? Salem, Oregon. Ah, so, so, you know, how long have you been a Dodger fan? Yeah, I'm not really a Dodger fan. <laughs> um, well, why are you wearing the shirt? Free T-shirt. <laughs> hey, you know he's kind and he's you know he's extending grace and says, ah, well, well then who's your who's your favorite baseball team? Yeah, San Francisco Giants. Which, if you don't know baseball, that is the arch rival of the Los Angeles Dodgers. <laughs> he doesn't know what to do. He's trying to he's trying to figure. Wait a minute. You're a Giants fan? How, would, how, how could you wear a, a Dodgers shirt? I mean, you don't put Giants and Dodgers together. You don't put Ducks and Beavers together. You, you, don't, you don't oil and water. They're, you never put those things together. He was perplexed. Even when I walked out, he was standing by the door. It's like he looked at me like... <laughs> Friends, can I tell you this? We walk around wearing our Jesus t-shirts... And the world is looking at us going, I, I don't get it. I don't understand. Say you believe, but I, you're just like us. There is this irreconcilable thing that we've put before our world. And we call it being a Christian. And what Jesus Christ is doing from the very time he stepped out of the wilderness to preach his go-to sermon, he said, repent, change heart, change mind, at least a change action, and believe, put the balloon in your mouth, let me shoot it out, trust me on this, I can do it, enter into the kingdom of heaven. And what we have done is we have leftover parts in the box, and we have fooled ourselves into thinking the kingdom of God's advancing. You need both.
And perhaps you're here today. And God wants to do a work of transformation in your life. You said, I believe. So now by his spirit, he wants to transform. So you need to new think, new, new thinking. A change of heart. And by his spirit's power, change, a change of action. It's hatred of sin. And sometimes we can get so hung up on the hatred of sin, we start pointing out all the things that are bad. We say, that's bad, this bad, that, no, that's okay. But it's all bad. We focus on the sin. And it's such a mistake because that's not how you turn away from sin. What you do, hatred literally means to turn the face. It's repentance to turn away from what is empty and lifeless and turn our face to Jesus and fall in love with him so much so that none of that stuff is attractive anymore. We want to get so hyped up about what's wrong, we need to turn our face to who is right and fall in love with him. And when we do, we, we despise the empty stuff that's lifeless. And we walk in the light as he is in the light. And perhaps he's inviting you today to embrace a message of repentance and belief. Maybe for you today, the, the, the thing that God is saying to you is it's time to believe. Maybe it's, maybe it's time for you to believe. Or it's time to repent. You can't do one without the other. Anything less than repentance and belief is to commit the sin of Capernaum.